This week on Punch Mountain, we're catching the cowboy that's never been caught, and it's only going to cost us 200 grand. Results not guaranteed. Gas up your getaway car because we're watching the driver. Punch Mountain starts now. Hello and welcome to Punch Mountain, the podcast where we review action movies one by one to discover the definitive ranking of action movies. Not determined by us, but by the action gods themselves. We don't make the mountain, we just climb it. My name is Mac Blake. I am joined, as always, by David Hotta. David, how are you? I'm doing well, Mac. Merry Christmas, Père Noel. Wait, that's Father Christmas. Uh, Joya Noel. Off to a great start. Yes, I hope Santa visits you, and I hope she brings you something nice. I hope she does, Mac. And how are you today on this Christmas Eve, 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 somewhere around Christmas time? Yeah, look, we record these years in advance, uh, to be honest with you. Oof, I hope Clinton pulls out this election. And so, but our schedule, our little like Mayan actuary timetable, I think this is going to come out around Christmas, David, or Xmas, as I like to call it. <laughs> and I like to call it Birthmas because it's uh, my birthday, December 25th. So uh, that'll overshadow everything as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> That's right. For David Hotta completists, the fun fact is, yes, David, David, your birthday is December 25th. That's right. And being the diva that I am, I have to make a big deal about it, including uh, hijacking this an episode of the show and making it all about a pick uh, from one of my favorites. So, yeah, this is going to be the driver. And I picked it. It's my birthday. Goddamn. That's right. We had an amazing episode. All three John Wicks. It was a John Wicks miss. We crammed it into 90 minutes, all killer, no filler. And David said, Mac, delete that fucking file. Let's do the driver. And I was like, we, can we save the file for later? And he's like, no, we make too many Christmas references in it. No one will want to hear that come January 2023. Delete it. And I did. But no, uh, yeah, we watched The Driver, which came out when? 1978? 1978, yeah, sure. Why not celebrate my 43rd birthday by watching a movie that came out the year before? Written and directed by Mr. Walter Hill. David, opening thoughts on this movie. What do you got? Well, obviously I love it. You know, I picked this movie for my birthday. It's cool. It's just a cool goddamn movie. This movie's so cool, it won't care about how low it ends up on the mountain because this is going to be a really hard movie to judge from the perspective of the mountain uh, because this isn't quite like rock'em, sock'em action. It's just cool, man. It's like jazz. Would you go so far as to say biodigital jazz? Was that how you'd... Oh, will we do Tron Legacy on this show, Mac Blake? Oh, my goodness. We th- That's a real reason to start a Patreon, not or a Discord or whatever. It's not, not so much to get the uh, 3750 we'll rake in every year. Uh, it's to have people decide for us what to do, because this is, this is tough. We'll boil it down to just episode dares, where we're just going <laughs> to yeah. do whatever you challenge us to do. Hey, everybody, my eggnog got spiked with fentanyl, and so either we're going to do Tron Legacy or uh, the direct-to-video sequel, Chappie 2, I guess. is There There can never. Please, God, don't make a Chappie 2. Uh, Mac, what are you thinking of going into The Driver? So The Driver, first of all, it's kind of hard to find at the moment. Now, supposedly this month it's supposed to get a like a new 4K or Blu-ray release. Blu-ray release? And so... Welcome to America, sir. <laughs> Blu-ray release. Uh, And so that maybe will make it more available digitally. In fact, uh, I'm going to go ahead and put a clip in Mac from the future. Mac, is it more available digitally? 
Not really Mac from the past. It says it's available to stream on Voodoo for a rental price, but I have not tried it. I found a German version on YouTube though, if that's of interest to you. Interesting, great, but you sent me a file of it. I don't know how you got it. You must got industry friends. I'm in procurements. Let's talk about the elephant in the room, David. Is this an action movie? Is The Driver an action movie? First of all, I asked the questions here, rhetorical question asking Mac. There are going to be movies we talk about that you might put something in front of before action. For example, The Matrix, you might uh, call that sci-fi action instead of action sci-fi, if that, does, if that makes sense. But however, when we talk about stuff, we will always talk about it in terms of it being an action movie. Because this is not, Punch Mountain is not the definitive ranking of greatest movies of all time. We're not those kind of assholes. This is the definitive ranking of action movie with those kind of assholes, the good kind, right? Thankfully, it's not the purpose of the mountain to decide what is an action movie or not an action movie. It's just here to tell us how much of an action movie something is. Like, we might show up one week and it's going to be like, bad news, guys. We're about to find out how much action is in Kramer versus Kramer. But uh, we're going to do it anyway. So, you know, with this one, I'm, I'm, I'm glad we got to consider it for the mountain. Yeah, we got about halfway through an episode of uh, Sense versus Sensibility when I realized that was not the title of the movie, and it was a you know poor choice. Uh, Punch Mountain, even though it is a mountain <laughs> dedicated to punching, these action movies that we're gonna do, they're not gonna be all fighting, right? I don't define action by like you know by fighting necessarily, like hand to hand fighting. Which you might ask me, okay, how would I define an action movie? And uh, I would say I don't want to answer that. Leave me the fuck alone. Uh, you can't make me. I don't want to pin myself down to like a set in stone definition of an action movie. I will say this, because I thought while watching The Driver, I thought a lot about the movie Drive, David. Mm -hmm, Of course. You know, another thing that I've wondered is what I call Drive an action movie. And I honestly, I'd have to rewatch it in order to uh, tell that. Because right now in my head, it's more kind of like a crime thriller than an action movie. I know it sounds like I'm splitting hairs to some people. But I feel like in an action movie, the action, the things that people are doing are meant to be thrilling. And the violence in the movie, there are definitely some thrilling parts, uh, you know, specifically the driving, but there's a lot of action in that movie, uh, especially when he <laughs> turns that dude's head into a smoothie in the elevator. That that action to me is not meant to thrill. That's that's like, it's brutal. It's like brutality. So I, I think that is a difference. I'd say the driver is an action movie and we're gonna uh, at least talk about it as such. But yeah, David, I, you've been talking about this movie for a while and I was excited to finally see it. The first time I watched a trailer for this movie, I was thrown by seeing Bruce Dern as a younger man. That's nuts. Bruce Dern to me is someone who's always been old. Uh, like I never watched it. Did you ever watch any of his Western movies? I did. I saw um, actually one of the, the first movies of his that I saw was The Cowboys with John Wayne because the big deal with that movie is that well, that's one of the few movies where John Wayne gets killed. Right. And Bru- Bruce Dern's the one who kills him. That's right. And John Wayne during filming said something like, uh, they're going to hate you for this because you, you killed me. And then, uh, not me, however, because John Wayne was a white supremacist, so all I say is, sometimes I wish bullets were real. You know what I mean? (laughs) Also, in this movie, uh, Isabella Gianni, which I I was excited to see her in another role, because I've only seen her in one other movie, David, which is the movie Possession. Oh, sure. Which, in that that movie, she's fucking nuts. (laughs) She is a bravura performance. Uh, I think she also fucks like a pile of tentacles in that movie. She does, I believe. Yeah, something like that. Which, you know what? That's some uh, versatile acting. I couldn't do that. 
Well, <laughs> okay, here, a lesser podcast, I would insert some ham-fisted joke about one of your ex-girlfriends, David, but uh, we are, we're classy dudes here, okay? I respect you, I respect people's pronouns, and I wish John Wayne had fallen into a volcano. So there you go. There's a lot of respect on this show for everybody. Hey, David, before we watch this movie, where the cops set up an elaborate sting to catch an excellent driver, let's set up a sting operation to catch up with each other. David Hotta, my friend, how are you? I'm doing well. I'm doing all right. Yeah, I was going to talk about Birthmas. <laughs> I was going to talk about Christmas and what have you. Uh, but that feels weird now. But I'm pretty much just repeating what I said at the top. So yeah, that's kind of what I'm doing. Looking forward to the holiday season and all that. How are you, Mac? I'm good. My kid is uh, bonkers for the holidays. He's three years old. He loves it. Uh, we were, when we were putting up the Christmas tree earlier, I had this Superman ornament that was like really old. And you plug it in and it rotates. It, it looks like a little phone booth, which millennial people, don't worry about what that is. <laughs> it rotates, uh, and it turns from like Clark Kent into Superman in the phone booth, and it makes this creaky old sound. You know, you plug it into a Christmas light so that I don't know what Wattajet is, but it's got to be real low. And I was like, oh, hey, uh, a son of mine, uh, do you want me, you want, you want to see a Superman ornament? It moves. And he literally started shaking. He was so oh. excited about oh my goodness. an ornament that moves. And then minutes later, he, he broke a, a taco ornament. So I mean, it's Oh, no. Which he got, he got sad about. But honestly, smash them all. I don't care. Man, the crippling highs and the dizzying lows. Oh, wait, the other way around. Ah, who cares? He's a kid. <laughs> you know what? No, you're not wrong. <laughs> hey, Dave, right before we get started, I want to give a shout out. I was at the mall, you know, doing some holiday shopping. Of course. And I was accosted by two people. They said that they like, hey, are you your name Mac? And I'm like, yes. They were, you know, they're fans of, of Master Pancake and various stuff. They said that they were just listening to Punch Mountain on the way Get out of town over to the mall. So shout out. Now, David, I am. Am I great remembering names? No. But you know what I am great at, David? Mm. Instantly forgetting names. But I'm pretty sure <laughs> these guys were named Keenan and Taylor. Or is it Tyler? Oh, my goodness. Oh, I should have written it down. I know it. I'm going to call K&T. My boys, K&T, if you're listening, uh, thanks for saying hi. That was fun. Your ability to remember names overlaps your ability to absorb praise. So that seems to once superseded the other. Well, as soon as somebody gives me a compliment, David, I want to disappear. I see. Because uh, I've still not learned how to feel good. <laughs> and so it's uh, it's there's multiple things going on, right? It's like, oh, I got to find a way to dematerialize. And also, I have to remember the names of these nice people. Mac, I ran away for seven years. Who are you talking to? I know every single aspect of this. Well, David, are you ready to get in this thing and go behind the wheel of the driver? You bet I am, Mac. So we're going in. David, what is your history with this movie? Have you seen it before? I've seen it a few times. I think I first saw it in my 20s, but I had known about this movie since my teens. In fact, in like 95, 96, around Pulp Fiction times, let's say, about a year afterwards, uh, I had bought an unauthorized biography of Quentin Tarantino uh, because I was a little teenager and I was excited about Quentin Tarantino. It was a very flimsy, like hastily put together biography because it was mostly just like press pullings from other stuff. But on the back in the back of the book, it had a list of his favorite movies or stuff he has said in interviews to be his favorite movies. And like, I can't remember the list now, but I remember The Driver because it was one of the ones I could never find. I went to Blockbuster, Hollywood, Major League. Went to all the video stores in the area, and they never had the driver. I decided I'll go the end around on this one. I'll try to find watch other movies related to it. Uh, okay, it was written and directed by Walter Hill. Well, what's Walter Hill doing? Uh, what's he got coming up? So I went and saw, around this time, Last Man Standing. Oh, wow, he did that? 
he did that. Yeah. So I was like, I'm good. I'm good on Walter Hill. <laughs> so it wasn't until like years later I moved to Austin and, you know, uh, Actually, no, that's not true. I think I got this via Netflix. I think this was mailed to me mm. um, when I finally ended up seeing it. But uh, yeah, no, it, it stuck with me. You know, it's just, it's a cool movie. It's, um, it gets compared to Les Samurai a lot, which is also, a, uh, it's also another movie I love. I don't quite see the comparison, but you know, it, uh, yeah, that's sort of my relationship to it. What about, do you have a relationship with The Driver? Is this your first time seeing it? It's my first time seeing it for reasons I said earlier. It was hard to find. You mentioned it. And then I know when Drive came out, it got mentioned a lot. And after watching his movies, yeah, it's very similar. In fact, it, Drive could actually be called like The Driver, Port of Call, Gosling, or something like that. Because it it's not like a remake, but it, it does feel sort of like a spiritual sequel. For sure, yeah. Which I was looking at the Wikipedia or something about this movie. And it was like, oh, this movie is an off-sited reference for Quentin Tarantino, somebody else, and Nicholas Wending Ruffin. I was like, oh, yeah, I, I'm sure he did fucking cite it as a, uh, <laughs> an inspiration. Yeah, he just chopped a letter off at the end of it. He, <laughs> yeah. was, he was good to go. I swear, I'll only mention Drive maybe two more times. Okay, Dave, just to give people a little bit of context who have not seen this movie, can you read the the back of the box description? You bet I can. Of course, oh, yeah. And may I ask you, what ad, what edition do you have right there? This is the Open Any Car edition. It's a giant uh, It's a giant skeleton key. Oh, yeah. that's really cool. I actually, it does not play in my player. <laughs> that sucks. It's a Region, Region X player. I actually I ordered this. Uh, my copy before you send me it digitally. And so I got stuck with this thing. It's a double side. It's one of these like double-sided DVDs. Uh, on one side, it's the driver. On the other side, it's, are we there yet? So uh, that's a big lots exclusive, isn't it? Uh, yeah. Look, I don't want to give big lots any play, but um, we're, you know, I'm working on a deal right now to get bring them on board as a sponsor. I'll bring them on board as a sponsor. That's big lots. All the stuff that fell off a truck. Well, the segment would be called Big Thoughts, presented by Big Lots, and it's just we get like we talk about those hoes over there. Uh, <laughs> they want to, they want to, it's real degrading, and we're kind of going back and forth because look, I'm not, I'm not one of those dudes. I uh, see. Yeah, I'm in the. I don't want to be in the pocket of Big Big Lots. You know what I mean? <laughs> or Big Thoughts for that matter. Oh, I mean, that's a different. Well, we'll get to that later. <laughs> back of the box. Ryan O'Neill and Bruce Dern star in this fast-paced crime thriller filled with white-knuckle car chases. Known as the fastest getaway man on high-stakes robbery jobs, the driver, Ryan O'Neill, is also relentlessly pursued by a detective on the police force who's obsessed with catching him, Bruce Dern. With its all-star cast, which also includes Isabella Johnny and Ronnie Blakely, and an action-packed story, the driver is a metal-crunching, heart-stopping chase from start to finish. 1978, 89 minutes, directed by Walter Hill, rated PG. Wow, so this is before... The PG-13 rating was invented, correct? That is correct. I, that was, I, I first I, when I heard about it being created uh, for Temple of Doom, I thought that was just like, oh, just somebody made that up. But that's true, right? Mm, yeah. Yeah, because there's no way this is PG. <laughs> Man, I give a C- minus to this fucking, whoever wrote this copy. Because I got really excited, like, Ryan O'Neill and Bruce Stern starring this fast-paced. And I was like, oh, here we go. It's going to have so many car chase puns in it. But no, no, no. Well, I'm going to give this one a C- minus because... With its all-star cast, which also includes Isabella Johnny and Ronnie Blakely. So with Bruce Stern and Ryan O'Neill also mentioned on the box, that's the four stars in this movie. That's like there are not even really any names, name actors in this movie besides those four. So I think that's a little uh mailing it in a little bit, copywriter. Yeah, I don't know about all star <laughs> with its four star <laughs> cast. <laughs> David, I noticed something when you were reading the back of the box description. It did not 
give the driver a name. It just called him the driver. What's up with that? That's right. This is going to be one of those movies where no one really has a name for that matter. It's going to be Ryan O'Neill plays the driver. Bruce Dern plays the detective. Isabella Johnny plays the player because she's a, a card player and whatnot. Uh, so, yeah, no one really gets a name in this movie. Yeah, it's like having sex with someone during NBA All-Star Weekend. No names. How's that? If you've never balled at the All-Star game, David, you don't know what I'm talking about. That, that joke's for players only. But yeah, this movie is definitely like, you know, it's, I don't know how else to describe it. It's kind of like this sparse, kind of just like very Spartan uh, script. You know, the the characters don't even get names because, you know, it doesn't, their backstories, I mean, one of them gets hinted at, but like, it, it doesn't matter. Because David, cars drive fast, and so does his plot, and we got to hit the fucking road, right? Yeah, so let's uh, let's get into this movie. So we're going we're gonna to open with the classic nicotine-stained 20th Century Fox title card, that kind of 70s smoke out, uh, and, then, and then we also see the opening credits. We see a name we've seen before. Welcome back to Punch Mountain, Lawrence Gordon, producer of Prey. So we open on The Driver, played by Love Stories' Ryan O'Neill, emerging from presumably hell. I don't know. He's coming from the depths of somewhere and appears in a parking garage. He hot-wires a car and takes it out of the garage and onto those hot L.A. streets. So, David, you said he emerges from hell, but what he does emerge from, you're not too far off. It's the weirdest fucking elevator I've ever seen in my life. At first, I couldn't figure out what it was, and then Ryan O'Neal pops out of a hole. I, it feels like a service elevator. So this uh, this feels like actually a lot of the se- scenes in this movie feel like they shot it at the best place they could. Uh, it doesn't really have to make a ton of sense. This is just where they had a permit. I don't really ever want to do a lot of like location tours or anything like that. I never want to sightsee, you know, mm-hmm. places where they shoot movies. I want to find this elevator. I want to find this parking garage with the elevator and ride up and down it. Yeah, it's an elevator that looks like it would use it'd be used to haul up rocks in like a, a rock mine or a quarry, but like the rocks are small. And the hole that Ryan O'Neill emerges out of is a Ryan O'Neill-sized hole. So if Ryan O'Neill had hit a buffet before this movie, it would have been a short film. It would have been called The Driver, dot, 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 who gets stuck in a small elevator <laughs> and dies. But yeah, he finds a car, and I gotta say, he's lucky this car he found was full of gas, David, because I frequently am very irresponsible in terms of filling up, where I'm like, well, I made it to this place, <laughs> one mile left in my tank, and no gas stations within five miles. That's a problem for our future Mac. He he picks a he picks a fully gassed up bright blue car. I think that's a good PSA, Mac. I think actually letting people letting people know, hey, you know what? If you ride your car on empty, crooks will won't go very far with it. So I think that's pretty awesome. Anyway, we cut to a casino question mark where we meet the player. And the player is played by Isabella Ajani. Yeah, she's playing cards at some mostly legal casino while the driver pulls up as the player is cashing out and uh, the driver swings around back as some masked robbers overtake the security and hold up the casino. So the robbers hop into the back of the driver's car as the player and three others look on. So David, we got a heist on our hands, right? I think so, yeah. We're, we're robbing the casino. Uh, that's an that's a exciting heist. Now, David, you mentioned cards. Are we talking about Pokemon, Magic the Gathering, Yu-Gi-Oh? What, what kind of cards are we talking about? No, Mike, we're talking like, like playing cards. Like You like the cards Oscar Isaac counts in the movie The Card Counter. Oh, okay. I'm on board. So this is where we meet Isabella Johnny. This is where we meet the player. Immediately setting unrealistic expectations for the attractiveness of card players. She's no, uh, you know, she's not going to pull the likes of a Phil Hellmuth. No, I hear what you're saying. I feel like most... 
poker players at like dusty underground uh, clubs look like they're made out of cigarettes. They don't look like Isabella Ajani. But yeah, we see, you know, the driver, he's kind of like driving around. Isabella Johnny's walking out. Next thing we know, the driver like drives through a fence. And we're like, oh shit, what something, he just blew through a fence. Something's happening here. And then we cut to the robbers. They're coming up the stairs wearing masks. The security guard who, he doesn't even see him walk in because he was distracted by the not up for debate beauty of Isabella Johnny, right? And I really like this shot where the security guard gets clocked because he gets punched. He's just kind of like, you know, totally 90 degrees, full tilt, looking away from where he's supposed to be looking. And the, the bad guys have a chance to really wind up, punch him in the stomach, and then clock him over the head. It's, uh, I don't know why I laughed at that. There might be something wrong with me, but I thought it was a real funny beatdown. No, it was if, like, instead of going to a shooting gallery, you just went to, like, a punching gallery, and all of the models just were, like, breadbasket models, or just, like, posing out with their stomachs out. It was great. He sold the hell out of it. Good job, nameless security guard. <laughs> well, hold on, let me check the script. Oh, security guard was the character's name. Uh, but we go from there, we meet the detective, played by Bruce Stern, playing pool at a bar. The detective's partner, played by Matt Clark, he enters and casually informs the detective of the casino robbery, but this is no surprise to the detective. He guesses the stuff before the guy even says it, so... The detective and his partner, they saunter their way uh, just as easy as you please out to the police surveillance van parked across the street where they get a make on the car and a possible make on the driver. So, David, again, nobody in this movie has a proper name. And so the detective's partner is credited, his character is credited as Red Plainclothesman. Plainclothesman being one word. Uh, yikes. You know, you could have called him partner. You could have called him something else. I can't keep calling this guy fucking Red Plain Closeman for the rest of this podcast. The the partner here, Red Plain Closeman, he's mm -hmm. perpetually not on board with the directive's plan. Excuse me, with the detective's plan. And so because he's not on board NOB, we're going to call him Knob, I think is a good thing. Or Knob Cop, what do you like, David? We, a lesser podcast because he's a detective could call him Knob Dick, but I don't want to do that. I like Knob Cop. I think that works just fine. Yeah, so Knob Cop, right? Now it's time for the first car chase of the movie, an action set piece we'll call All Cops, No Breaks. Uh, yeah, the driver's going to red shell and banana peel the cops through the streets while the detective listens to the pursuit over the police radio. I like the sequence a lot. I I, yeah. I feel this driving. Like, the streets are just bare enough. It really does feel like if you've ever driven through downtown Austin at, like, 1 a.m. on a weekday, that kind of thing. Like, there's just enough cars around to make you think, wow, what if a car just came busting through at some point in the middle of a high-speed chase? Like, this, this chase worked for me. I, I felt... The city and, and, you know, this whole sequence, you know, we're already about 10 minutes into the movie by the time this car chase is over. So we've met the driver. We've met the player. We've met the detective. The detective has had the most lines in this 10 minutes and no one's really said anything, but it's still working for me. And it makes me realize that, like, this movie has a way of making dialogue feel silly because in my head, I'm like, I'm kind of doing punch ups early into the movie. I'm like well, what would I say here? What would I do here? When really, they don't have to say anything. Like, would I rather have someone in the backseat going, hey, man, watch out, watch out, man. Hey, come on. Like, this if this works by not doing a lot. Yeah, we are spared the constant complaining of the two robbers he's driving around. But we are not spared, David, is the sounds of tire screeching. Uh, I guess 70s audiences love the sound of screeching tires because I had to lower the volume on the movie because I could not fucking take it. I was listening to another podcast, uh, uh, The Best Show, one time, and a guest said they could not watch basketball because they were too locked into the sounds of sneakers squeaking, and that was driving them crazy. And I was like, oh my God, what a hell that must be 
if you are locked in, if that's the only sound you can hear. Uh, I'm, I wasn't quite that way with the screeching, but seriously, tone it down. Hey, are we doing a blue K? Uh, blue K? Are doing a blue K four ray re release? <laughs> uh, and let's fucking uh, let's digitally replace those tire squeaks. Just go ahead. It could even be that Owen Wilson. Wow, I just I don't care. But yeah, no, I thought this car chase was great too. There's a lot of really cool POV shots where it's like you're the driver and you're seeing what they're seeing. I feel like the action was like really clear and it was awesome. I did. I told you two more drive references. Uh, I could not help because this this scene was pretty much like soundless. Was there any soundtrack to this, David? Do you remember? No, there was not. And I could not help wondering if they had replaced the sounds of tire screeching with instead the music of uh, one Mr. Cliff Martinez, if it would be better. And I got to say, it probably would be. But you know what? That's a different movie. The driver stand on its own. But yeah, I think this is a really great uh, car chase because it's not just like how fast can we get from point A to point B the entire time? He's like fighting off cops, right? He's like trading pain with them, like giving some little little rub and tug, you know, giving him a sensual back massage. Uh, no, he's like bumping into the other cars. And at some point, you know, he's like basically in a chicken situation. Like he's heading right towards two police cars. And what does he do? Do you think the driver blinks at this chicken, David? He sure fucking doesn't. And both the cops veer away and they both, both cop cars uh, hit separate dumpsters. And I was like, oh man, the fucking double dumpster dump. I love it. And that was my first mark out moment of this movie. I thought that was oh, great. Oh, dang. Very nice. Okay. Uh, also, real quick, this movie looks great. The cinematographer was Philip H. Lathrop. Don't know him at all, but I looked up his resume and the dude's a workhorse. Okay. He's got like a 42 year resume. He also worked on Earthquake and Touch of Evil. And he filmed this movie when he was in his fucking 60s, which uh, Walter Hill was talking about how much this movie was filmed at night. And so uh, hats off to you, Philip H. Lathrop. I hope you were not racist. I hope you were not tired. Man, are you kidding me to be up around midnight in your 60s? No, thanks. But yes, also, don't be racist. Yeah, movie looks good. One final thing about this scene and about this chase is you quickly realize that it's a PG movie because you don't really see any sort of firearms until late in the chase. And that's when the cops pull out a shotgun to try to, you know, cause they're at their wits end with this guy. He has clearly evaded them. So all they can do is, is pull out a shotgun. It reminded me of a, of a different time. You know, I had to remember that this was 1978 and like the whole thrust of this movie, it's not, we have to stop the driver. It is specifically, we have to catch the driver to watch a movie that plays by the rules of, Killing the the suspect is off the table. It lends itself to a constraint or, you know, a conceit of a movie that I really enjoyed. Yeah, neither the uh, cops or the robbers in this movie were trying to own the night. They were just trying to rent it, if you will. David, surprise! Someone named the driver is very good at driving, and he easily escapes. The driver dumps the car in, well, a dump, and collects his cut while pledging to never do business with these robbers again. Because, David, the robbers were late. And if you're late... It's one strike and you're out with the driver. Them's the driver's rules. You're playing driver baseball now. Yeah, this is cool because you get to see this big, you know, junkyard. Uh, He's dumping the car off. And it made me wonder, like, how many of those cars are his? Like, I wanted, you know, remember at the end of, like, From Dust Till Dawn when you sat through an okay movie and then they pull out and it's like, whoa, that was a temple the whole time? That's a cool movie. I kind of wanted that, but for this movie. David, how dare you? I sat through half of a great movie and then half of an okay movie. It's for dust till dawn. Man, I hated to see that car get dumped. Yeah? My feral wife had her car stolen and it was recovered with just some mild damage. He didn't really fuck up this blue car. Whoever his blue car was, I'm sure they would have been happy to be like, oh, you found it safe. Oh, it's only small damage. Oh, it was used in robbery. Oh, well, yeah, that's a conversation starter. 
But now he's just like, yeah, dump this uh, in a, a giant dump full of cars. Car dump, I think it's what it's called. A car dump. Yeah, that's right. This is also the first time we hear the driver talk. And, you know, he's a man of few words. He's going to be throughout the movie. I think somewhere in the trivia, somewhere around there, he only spoke 350 words throughout this entire movie. Hearing Ryan O'Neill talk, you're very glad for it. In much of the same way that hearing Ryan Gosling talk. And Drive was like, please be a man of few words. <laughs> How dare you? How dare you? Second guess the Goss. I love the Goss. Don't get me wrong. But uh, <laughs> a, a, a brute, he is not to me. True, true. That is, Yeah, he's not, uh, he's not a heavy. He's no Bruce Dern. Speaking of Bruce Stern, the next day, the detective immediately finds the car in the wreck yard. The robbers left behind all of their clues, and the driver left behind his every key. It's the skeleton key that got him into that car and millions of cars around the world. The detective seems very pleased to find this, and uh, he's off to go crack this case wide open. So, David, my first thought is, how did the detective know exactly where to find this getaway car? Mac, there's clearly no time to explain that, but here's what I'm wondering. I'm wondering if they couldn't have just made it a little harder for the detectives to detect this because they leave their stinking helmets, their masks. The driver leaves his skeleton key behind. Like, spread this out around the city or something. Put some effort into it. It really felt like this was just a cache of weapons that the detective could use for throughout the game. And it just felt like a cheat a little bit. Look, they might have even filmed those scenes, David, but this is the driver. We don't got fucking... I can't drive 55. I can't slow down to do those things. So in my mind, I think the detective, because he's been on this case of the driver that he knows the driver's M.O., right? His, uh, I don't know what M.O. stands for, his murderous or... His murder office, because that's who he answers to. Someone told me it's modus operandi, but that doesn't... The fuck is that? That's like a, co- a computer name. Um, Sounds like an egghead episode of Batman. Yeah, fuck that bullshit. Okay, so... <laughs> so anyway, he knows his M.O. so much that he's like, is there a, is my Brewster impression. I hope you like it. Uh, call the local junkyard. Is there a blue car there all of a sudden that wasn't there previously? Oh, there was. We'll be there in five minutes or whatever. So the fact that he like finds his car so quickly, I think is a testament to how, uh, how studious the detective is of the driver. You know, I think he is for all, when it's all said and done. I actually think he is a good detective. I think he makes some really dumb decisions, but he's, uh, he pounds the pavement like few uh, movie detectives do. David, he is a good detective, and he will be the first one to tell you that. And also, I think it's safe to say he does play by his own rules. So the movie's going to make a hard, no explanation cut to the driver in a police lineup. Yeah, how did they get the driver in the police lineup so fast? Mac, I told you, we're zipping and zooming. We have no time to explain okay. this. Let's go. So the detective asks for witnesses to the casino robbery, including the player, if they recognize the driver. They've got him in a lineup, uh, but none of the witnesses recognize him. Even the player, who definitely saw the driver, they definitely had a moment at the robbery. What is up with that? What is up with that, David? I think there's more than meets the eye with this Isabella Gianni. <laughs> I gotta stop <laughs> saying that. I don't even know. what is she Italian? Isabella Gianni? I think she's French, I uh, believe. Hold on, David. It's time for some unfounded male confidence. I will not look it up. That is my pledge to you. Ignorance forever. Two more episodes and we're going to have a stamp for like unfounded male confidence. <laughs> well, <sighs> in this case, I'm not saying I'm right. That would be the... I guess if I was true on Founded Male Confidence, like, no, David, she's Italian. I can tell I know things. Wait, why did I switch to that voice? Oh, wait, that's my NYC heavy voice? Okay. You're a good detective, too. No one's ever given you credit for that. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you, sir. So what is going on here? What's happening? 
this is a, a hastily thrown together lineup. It's really just the driver. We don't know where they are. It's like the the set for some drug PSA, and no one's given up any information. They they were all clearly there. The player very clearly saw the driver. We know that. We we established that in the movie. But she's not narkin to no nark. And so Bruce Stern has a really great line. It's kind of offhandedly. It says, oh, so it's a, uh, wait, let me try Bruce Stern here. Oh, so it's guard dogs for everyone. Is that it? It sets, it plants the seed for Bruce Stern throughout this movie to blossom into a magnificent asshole throughout the rest of it. By the way, they totally could not get a uh, secure filming location of an actual police lineup because everything is shot in close up and there's, there's you cannot tell what this room is. I guarantee you it's just a studio back lot. Or, or something like behind an Arby's where it's like, quick, let's shoot it here, quick. Anyway, hey, remember that bar earlier that the detective was playing pool at? Mm-hmm, I do. It's called Torchies. Oh, well, I guess this bar is also a uh, police office during the day because that's where we end up and all the cops are there and they're doing uh, an interrogation. They're doing an interrogation. I think that's the correct verb. Uh, the detective in- interrogating the driver who presumably chooses not to get up and leave, and even though I believe in his rights, he can. The detective thinks he's onto the driver, and he calls a shot that he's going to catch the driver red-handed, at which point the detective throws hot coffee on the driver's hands, which, David, is a bitch move, but that's okay, because the detective is kind of a bitch. He's such a good bitch. Oh, my God, I love Brewster so much. He's such a weasel. He's a weasel in the way that, like, a wrestling manager is a weasel, where you're, you're along for the ride that this guy is going to be a shit, but you're so impressed at the levels of shittiness that he can reach. It's really great. Yeah, he's a... I mean, like, I'm not, again, I'm not up on uh, all of Bruce Stern's filmography, but it's the only role that I can, that comes to mind where he's like a weasel, but because he's like a weasel trying to catch a criminal, it seemed like somehow justified, I guess. Yeah, it fits a cop, really. I mean, no, no, not, not to be that way about it for the eighth episode in a row, but he's a perfect weasel to play a cop. ACAB, David, all cops are Bruce Stern. For sure. Uh, so let's talk about this bar, Mac. Let's talk about this uh, police station. Yeah, yeah, let's talk about Torchies. So what the what the heck is going on here? Because it really is, like, it is the de facto police station. This and the interrogation truck that they could park anywhere. Actually, I'm going to look this up. How much did this movie cost to make? There's so many choices in this movie. Oh, four million. Okay. Yeah, four million to make. And, like, it feels like they only got access to three locations and they used the heck out of them. That's a good idea for aspiring filmmakers, David. Like, let's say you cannot secure, for example, an airport. Just film it anywhere else and then have a character go, this is kind of like our airport. And then there you go. <laughs> you just did it, yeah. right? Hey, you know that bar we already filmed in and we have, we've rented it for two more days. What if that bar was kind of like their police station? It's like, oh man, what a great idea. Thank you, Walter Hill. Yeah, I just feel most at home here. And it's like, okay, Bruce, we're, I guess we're doing work out of the out of the bar today. We're doing it. But this this scene, you know, he throws the coffee on the driver's hands and, it, you know, to goad the driver into punching him. He's like, go ahead, do it. You'll get two years for it. And so uh, the driver opts not to. But then the detective has a line where he says, uh, he basically calls a shot. He goes, uh, I'm going to catch the cowboy that's never been caught. Cowboy Desperado. <laughs> I've, I like my Bruce Stern, quite frankly. Uh, but the, <laughs> but that's going to be my first mark out moment. He's, that. it's the peak. Of Bruce Stern's character in this movie. I'm going to keep calling him shitty. I'm going to keep calling him an asshole. But that line just perfectly encapsulates the thesis statement that is the detective. I'm going to catch you. I'm going to tell you to your face. And I might not, but I'm going to believe it every single step of the way. Uh, that was my first mark out moment. Yeah, it's pretty funny. Like, I'm going to catch a cowboy that's never been caught. Sure. But then cowboy desperado. What is this? <laughs> you just scatting now? Like, is this just word association? <laughs> so you think the driver at this point 
he's feeling the heat, right? He's probably like, I got to clear out of town until things cool down. Well, that's not what we're doing here at all. No, he's sticking around. Uh, but then we're going to switch channels, Mac. We're going to go to the wide world of crooks and check out some other hooligans. Uh, we're going to meet creepy thief glasses played by Joseph Walsh, AKA not quite Dwight Yoakam. It kind of looks like Dwight Yoakam, David, but uh, not quite. In fact, for the rest of this movie, we're probably going to call him Not Quite Yoke. That sounds great. And so uh, Not Quite Yoke is trying out a new getaway driver named Fingers uh, for some reason. Again, they never use these names in the movie. Oh, uh, David, it's because he has fingers. Thank you, Matt. Golly, I could have used a strategy guide for this movie. But uh, they're going to rob a grocery store. Uh, for some reason, I guess there's gold lettuce in there. And so Glasses and Teeth, played by Rudy Ramos... Uh, successfully shoot out the windows of the grocery store, among other things. Presumably they stole money also, but they, the showcase piece was really breaking all the windows. But their getaway driver fingers, he's not very good. No, he's not very good. He makes some wild-ass turns. Now, again, David, not quite Yoakum, is referred to as glasses, and, or is credited as glasses, and then there's fingers and teeth. No one is called these names on camera. Mm-mm. Like, these names for all these characters you only see in the credits. First of all, Teeth? Why the fuck is Rudy Ramos called Teeth? When I later at the end of the movie, when I saw his his teeth, I rewound and I was like, does he have either big or fucked up teeth? His teeth are very straight and very white. I don't know. Uh, in, in my head, I overwrote it and I was like, you know, for a hooligan, he has a very winning smile. So I wouldn't doubt it if they latched onto that. Okay, I, I guess. <laughs> I mean, I don't know if it was in the script. I'm stretching. Yeah. I mean, it, it's so confusing that I was like, it's probably racist. I'm sure that they're like, Oh, a Latino guy's got all his teeth. Well, he's teeth. It's like, wait, what? The, why does that? Okay. Look, when in doubt, I assume people are racist. Prove me wrong, America. You fucking can't. <laughs> but yeah, and again, Fingers, no clue why he's called Fingers. But what do you think about Joseph Walsh, the actor, a.k.a. not quite Dwight Yoakam? Joseph Walsh, he tricked me, quite frankly, because he has one of those faces and one of those looks, and maybe it is because he looks like Dwight Yoakam a lot. But I was like, man, this guy has been in a million things. Let me look up what he, what else he's been in. So you know, you go to the, you go to the driver, and you look at the cast, and he's one of the few people in the cast whose photo is from the driver, mm. which already is not a great <laughs> yeah. sign. He's not had a long career if that is his only photo. No, he has not. I mean, because like he did a bunch of TV work prior to this, but then after that, it was like he was in Poltergeist, he was in Let It Ride. And he was in the glass shield, and that's it. So, like, I guess he just has... Man, I wish he was in more stuff, because he's really wasting that face. Yeah, he really has a face uh, you would love to see uh, murdered in a heist gone wrong. That's all I want. Uh, David, can we keep calling him glasses? I, I, I don't have not quite Yoakum in the notes. Is that okay? <laughs> that's fine. We'll keep calling him glasses. Okay, because the next morning, the detective opens up the back of a surveillance van, revealing glasses and handcuffs. Glasses! Glasses! Glasses are, has already been caught. David, how did they catch glasses so fast? There was no... Mac, I'm going to keep telling you this. We have no time to discuss it. So Glasses is taken back to the police office bar and grill and offered a deal. Rob a bank to set up the driver or go to jail. 200000 in the bank or 10 years in prison. The detective explains his plan to Knob Cop in what is not quite an Aaron Sorkin walk and talk. It's really more of a pre-Sorkin come here and talk, which I enjoyed quite a bit. Uh, and Knob Cop is not on board with the plan. Wait, hold on. Not on board cop is not on board? That's right. Crazy. That is character development. Oh, so this this plan. Yeah. So it's essentially the detective is bored at work and really wants a challenge. So he's putting up $200,000 of city money. He wants to set up this bank robbery. He wants to catch the driver. 
I'm telling you, Mac, hearing this convoluted plan, I'm thinking, I really want to swindle some cops. Like, what is it going to take for me to get on their radar and say, hey, I want to dangle some money in front of David's face in an effort to catch him and in an effort for me to try to get that money? David, you know I'm all, I'm always on board to swindle cops, okay? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But let's watch the rest of the movie, see if it turns out okay. I don't. Let's see if Glasses lives or dies. Well, that, maybe that's a good uh, canary in the coal mine. Now, David, look, I loved listening to Bruce Dern explain his plan because I watched uh, Glass Onion recently, and I I got right now, if there's ever time to hearing uh, characters bloviate, I think uh, (laughs) I only wish that Bruce Dern could have done a Southern accent where he could have been like, here's the plan now. Here we go, judge, or whatever, because he's a lawyer. I don't know. Sure. But when he's, he's setting up the plan here. He's talking to his, his uh, knob cop, and then there's another cop there. Don't fucking worry about him, okay? And he goes, how many banks get robbed a month? And knob goes, I don't know, 15? And he goes, how many does, How many callers do we get? How many arrests? He's like, of those 15, he's like, I don't know, eight or nine. Back it the fuck up. 15 banks every month yeah. get robbed in Los Angeles? What the fuck? That's one every two days. That is... Fucking crazy. I mean, I know that uh, violent crime in this country, like around the 70s, I think, Mm. it basically like skyrocketed until like mid 90s and then started to drop. First of all, that's a crazy number. But the fact that eight or nine get arrested. So if you rob a bank, you have more than a 50% chance of getting caught. You'd think that that would start to, uh, first of all, I mean, good clearance percentage of the cop. Uh, I got to say, I mean, if. If there was that many, if they had that percentage of sexual assaults uh, solved in this country, that would be shockingly amazing. <laughs> but yeah, if you're a criminal and you're like, okay, uh, I got a nine, I got a six in 15 chance or less than 50% chance of making my escape after robbing a bank. I guess now I understand why this driver is so goddamn good, why people want him. Well, I'm understanding why people rob banks. I'm liking those odds where like in my head, I'm thinking I've got like a 10% chance of even making it out the door. And now you're telling me, 1978 Los Angeles, I got about a 40% chance of going home and staying home. That's great. I could tell you right now, none of these bank robbers have my plan in mind, which is a fucking disguise. That's what you got to do. You, you <laughs> get out of that bank, Yeah, quick change from a clown outfit. Hold on, David. I'm describing the plot of the movie, Quick Change. Oh, David, one more thing before we move on. Sorry, a little fake out there. I think this is the first instance of the detective calling Knob an asshole, and which he does a lot in this movie. I got to say... If you're constantly calling people assholes, perhaps you are the asshole. Uh, is that a good point? I don't know. You can edit that right out of the fucking thing. Well, no, we, we kind of get confirmation in the scene also that the detective is very much an asshole because it's clear that Knob Cop isn't on his side. So what does the detective do? He uses like blackmail as leverage. He's like, oh, maybe I should go looking through your file. Maybe I'll find out that you're a fruiter. And it's like, oh, okay, cool. So you're going to bust him for being gay. Fantastic, the detective. A few, a few points down. A few points down the mountain for that one, fella. Yep. But later that night, we meet characters that we like again. Uh, we see the driver. He's meeting up with the player. They were in cahoots the whole time, Mac. Did you know that? What? Yeah, we're about to find that out. Uh, so the driver is there to pay off the player for seeing nothing. You know, he's buying her silence, uh, which is great work if you can get it. Goddamn. Oh, hell yeah. The player takes this opportunity to give us her very vague backstory. Which I already forgot. <laughs> Gone with the wind. But then the detective shows up. The driver hides in the closet while the detective tries to shake down the player who ain't talking. Good for her. The detective is on to her, but he's got nothing. So he tries intimidating her instead with a vague hint at her mysterious past. Uh, who needs details? This says this movie. David, the detective gives the age of Isabella Johnny 
in this movie. And she is how old? She is 22 years old in this movie. Her life is so together. She's got a place that somebody else pays for. She's spending her nights playing cards. She's meeting cool people. Why Why is anybody hassling her? Just let her live her glorious 22-year-old life. Now, David, later in the notes, farther down, I make a little uh, a reference to whether or not, or put a question, do or does the driver or and the player, do they have any on-screen chemistry? And I was feeling like they had zero. But then I was thinking about the scene. I was like, oh, I definitely thought they might fuck in this scene. So I will say, yeah, they do have a little bit. Or I guess my question, I'm going to ask you, David. Do they have on-screen chemistry or do I just want two attractive people to have sex? You just want two attractive people to have sex. That's really the sum total of it because Isabella Johnny and Ryan O'Neill both are at the height of their powers when it comes to looking at them on screen. But I feel like this movie doesn't want that. I, there's, a, God help me for saying this, but there's a, there are a lot of aspects of this movie that are very punk rock where it's like, oh, you probably want them to hook up. Well, guess what? They're going to be all business. They're not even going to hint at flirting with each other. This movie could really stand to have a, a rockin' soundtrack. Well, this movie's gonna have very little to no soundtrack at all, and when it does, it's just gonna be a trumpet scaring you back awake. Now, this movie, I like the zigs and zags, but if you're gonna have two people that attractive, you gotta have them smash. Yeah, David, you're right. I think if they did have sex in this movie, they might end up revealing more about themselves, and that's not something this movie wants. But yeah, it would have been nice to see him enter the bone zone. I gotta gotta say that. This scene's pretty great for me because it, you know, or I should say the second half of it because the first half is gonna be the player and the driver uh, not flirting. And then the second half's gonna be Bruce Dern kicking down the doors, being intimidating. And that's what's really great about this scene, a couple of things. Like there's a moment where he's like holding the picture out for Isabella Johnny. He's like flicking it in a very irritating way. And I didn't quite mark out but it's, again, that's another moment where it's like, this could only be Bruce Dern. You know, he's so good at just finding a way to just irritate the shit out of you. And it's just such a great little uh, a little choice of his as an actor. Throughout this scene, you know, he he's being intimidating. You know, he he's talking about her past, that sort of thing. But I never get the sense that he's going to, like, raise a hand to her or anything like that. Or he's going to, you know, be untoward uh, with her. Which I got to say was a relief, this being a PG movie. And I got to say, Mac, I think this is why PG action is superior action. You could keep your diehards and your predators. Give me a PG action movie. You got it, David. Next week, we're doing The Phantom, which I think came out the mid-90s one with Billy Zane. Get ready for some boring stuff. Okay. Yeah, you know, I I was slightly worried. I was like, oh, no, is he going to get physical with her? And then I was like, well, first of all, you know, the driver's hiding in the closet. And so I don't think that's going to happen. And then if it does, he's going to pop out. He's not going to be like, I'm going to let this play out. But then also, I think if you just watch the movie, you don't get a sense that Bruce Stern is going to get physical with her. I just get that sense because it happens in so many other movies. For sure. Uh, and especially uh, very needlessly a lot. Like just like, oh, uh, I want to show this character's tough. Haven't beat up a woman. Like it's a, such a bullshit thing. And thankfully they don't do it in this movie. Real quick, does this movie uh, pass the Bechdel test? No, of course it fucking fails at heart. <laughs> However, is anyone named in this movie? I mean, like, does it pass the... Technically, the male Bechdel test? I think we found the Bechdel loophole where it's like, yeah. you know, you're not really talking about anybody if you don't name anybody. So there we go. Also, is it Bechdel or is it Bechdel? Uh, Alexis Bledel was in Gilmore Girls, Mac. Ah, oh, perfect. <laughs> uh, so from there, the driver meets up with The Connection, played by Ronnie Blakely. You know her. She was Barbara Jean in Nashville. Oh, sure. Yeah. Uh, she's going to offer a job to the driver, but he doesn't like the stink of it. There's something off about this job. It stinks. It stinks, for crying out loud. He obliges anyway, 
and goes to a driving audition in an empty parking garage and waiting for him there. It's the grocery store gang. Yay, it's all of our favorites. Glasses, teeth, and fingers. After the driver shows off his driving skills, which are, again, very good, the driver switches into fuck-around mode and demolition derbies the audition car, simultaneously scaring the shit out of the grocery store gang and annoying the shit out of him. David, they're out of shit, but guess what? The driver doesn't give a shit, and he then refuses to work with them even after he busts up their car for no fucking reason. For no reason. He had to show them who's boss. Okay, well, they were in the car, and he's like, I'll, I'll show you that I'm a good driver. And he's like driving like a maniac, again, in this abandoned, empty parking garage. Okay, they do show that it's next to a construction site. So maybe they built the parking garage before they built the office building it's attached to. Fine, movie. Fuck, you win. <laughs> but he's doing this audition, and then at some point, Glasses goes like, I've had enough of this shit. And that's when he starts destroying, like, you know. Uh, running into, uh, you know, steel beams and pillars, knocking the rearview mirrors off the car, knocking the fender and bumper off the car, just fucking it up. I, I got to say him being like, oh, I'm getting tired of this shit did not seem like enough of a justification to go uh, ham on this car. I was confused. For sure. I think his it was his plan all along because I think he was insulted that he even had to audition. Like, I'm the driver. You, I'm offer only. You're You're the one paying me. Why the fuck am I doing this? That is true. So I think, you know, because especially, you know, there's there's parts. The first time I watched it, I was like, why is he driving straight into that wall? But then you watch it again, and you're like, oh, he's so good at driving. He knows exactly how fast he can go and how slow he can, you know, when he needs to brake, hit a wall, and still be able to drive that car. Like, he's showing him, I know this car better than you think I do. I'm going to wreck shop on this thing. It's a great sequence for me. I really enjoyed it. It's the home of my second markout moment because, first of all, why did they even get in the car? You know, the driver's auditioning for GT and F, glasses, teeth, and fingers. And he's like, all right, I'll show you. Get in. No, you can watch from there. In fact, go to the roof of the parking garage. Have him do it in the street. Like, you don't need to get in with him. Also, fingers is already their driver. In fact, when uh, the driver pulls up, fingers is like, hey, what's up, man? He's like, you two know each other? He's like, yeah, we did a two-car job back in the day. I figured if they're bringing in a new driver, the driver, that they would fucking ditch fingers i guess but now they want to cuck him right like, like let a superior man eat my pussy <laughs> <laughs> you idiot <laughs> <laughs> i meant drive my car <laughs> later on when the driver's like i'm i'm not doing your job because i don't work with guys like you especially him and he points at teeth why did he single out teeth you know, I, I wondered that too. And I think he, the explanation he gives is because Teeth is like, hey, I don't like it. I don't like you calling the shots. I don't like you saying I got to sit this one out. And the driver's like, yeah, that's why I'm doing it. All right. I, you don't call the shots. I'm calling the shots. And if I say you sit out or I walk, then you're sitting out or I walk. So, I mean, later on, we it Teeth is revealed to be a fucking psycho. So do you think the driver just got, he's like, just vibes, man. That's why. I think just vibes, yeah. Because it's also like, I think he had to pick on someone and he wasn't going to pick on Fingers because Fingers just looks like a schlub. Yeah. Yeah, so I think he just, he singled out teeth. But the whole thing feels fishy because, like you said, like, Fingers is there. You already have a driver. Why are you bringing me in to drive? Like, it feels like the cops said, okay, we need to catch the driver, but we need all three of you to catch him at the same time if all three of you want to get off. It's like they have to fit through the door at the same time. But so this is going to be my second markout moment during this sequence when he's destroying the car. He passes the audition. 
Then he starts to kind of wreck the car and everybody's like, hey, man, you know, this isn't cool. So you think he stops. He opens the door. You think he's going to get out. No, he just backs up and knocks the door off the car. It was the culmination of the scene, really. And that's going to be my mark out moment. David, I'm not a car guy. You know, as you know, like if, if someone were to ask me to describe a car, I would probably use, just go by the color. And uh, as you know, David, instead of a car, I take a uh, swag board to work. Mm -hmm. uh, but I just say this car, whatever they're driving, is beautiful. Again, I hated to see it destroyed. I don't know why these criminals don't start bringing some shitty cars or shitty on the outside cars, you know? Yeah, this movie made me realize that, like, we're really stuck in sort of four colors of cars these days. Like, that was a Mercedes, like an orange Mercedes. Like, where are you going to find that? I loved it. Yeah, it looked like a creamsicle, which now, if you had a creamsicle, wouldn't really, like, pass the focus test. You know, it's like, it's got to be, ooh, uh, you know, bluish, blackish. Um, that's right. The car's got to be that Anthony Edwards show. Anyway, hard cut to the detective. I don't know how hard of a cut it is. It's a pretty, it's a pretty nice cut. So the, we're going to cut to the detective. Uh, he's enjoying a sodi with his partner, and he's not sweating the small stuff, like how the driver is completely not taking the bait, and $200,000 is just twisting in the wind. This is an opportunity for the detective to share his philosophy about how to be a total shit. And he goes off in the scene about winners and losers, and about how his own partner is a loser, and he's a winner. And he talks about the sports page, and how that's the... That's the most important part of the newspaper. Every day you open it up, there's winners, there's losers. You know the score. It tells you how it all went down. Again, Bruce Dern, bless you, sir. No one else is, is giving life to this scene, and no one else is making you feel like, God, shut the fuck up better than Bruce Dern. This dialogue makes you want to tell the character to shut the fuck up, but Bruce Dern is just making a meal out of it. It's great. Does he call his partner Knob an asshole again? Uh, for folks keeping score at home, yes, he does. I'm surprised he wasn't the asshole in the credits when it's all said and done. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, cut to the driver going home after a long day of being the driver. And who shows up at his door? It's Teeth, right? Yeah. He just wants to talk to the driver. And driver's like, get the fuck out of here. But the Teeth really sucks at being intimidating. In fact, he probably ends up leaving worse off than when he showed up. Why, David? What happens? He comes over and he's like, hey, man, I just want to talk to you. I just want to like really just kind of convince you to join our gang and to join this robbery and the driver's like not interested it's so great like teeth kind of tries to strong arm him and it's just it's no sale from the very beginning like the driver knocks him down the stairs walks down the stairs knocks him down again teeth was like hurt by this point like not physically he's like almost like hey man i can't believe you you thought wrong of me like i, I just came here to talk meanwhile teeth has a gun yeah like you didn't bring this gun if you just wanted to talk to me yeah, he goes, I just want to talk, and the detective's like, no thanks, and he pulls out a gun, and then you think, uh, sorry, another detective, uh, the driver, and you think the driver would react somehow to the gun, like it might change how he acts to him, but no, he just he just beats the shit right out of teeth. It's like he's annoyed to even see the fucking gun. So at the end of this encounter, after the driver has beaten the shit out of teeth a million times, and, and teeth has been like, I'm going to kill you, uh, no, please leave me alone, I'm going to kill you. He, he ends the scene being like, if I get one more chance, I'm going to kill you. The driver punches him, he looks at teeth, and he goes... Go home. Here's the thing. Is the driver an alpha? Is the teeth a beta? Yeah, that's the score. However, this dude, clearly, he knows where you live. He's a fucking psycho. He says he's going to kill you, and you just say, go home. Is that a smart move, David? Well, it's a litmus test, because if the guy ho goes home, then you've won. Because, like, it, it's really just a bluff and whether or not he's going to call it. This is kind of my problem with the character of the driver is he's too much of a badass. Mm -hmm. Like, I feel like either you need to, he's like too much in the middle. 
Like he's not going to go full on anti-hero and like waste this dude teeth. Hmm. But he's not going to have any sort of like real kind of, you know, gallantry here. It's just like the badass move to be like, not even worth it. I don't shoot a bitch like teeth, right? I just send him on his way because I don't need to do that because I'm a total badass. I feel like, you know, give him a little bit more humanity. Don't always make him, you know, whatever you give like a cardboard badass the choice to make. So yeah, I, I wish in this moment they had maybe taken care of, of teeth. And, but, you know, we'll find out later on whether or not that was a bad decision or not. Yeah, it's generally, it's kind of the failing of the movie because this character doesn't really have a pronounced arc. You know, the the stakes aren't really there. Like by the end of the movie, you get a sense that he's just kind of on a lark and he's just playing the game with the detective. So yeah, I mean, this, you know, when you look at the movie that way, it does kind of feel a little flimsy. You are kind of questioning like, what does the driver want? And I guess it's just to drive a bunch because it, later on in the movie, it becomes clear that it's like, dude, you need to fucking quit because the cops are straight up your ass. Uh, he's like, no, man, I got to drive for some fucking reason. So we're going to check in on Glasses, who's going to show up to complain to the detective that the driver isn't taking the bait. Like, I, I've I've tried everything. I've tried to kill him. I've tried to yell at him. Nothing. The detective agrees to save Glasses' asses by going directly to the driver and cutting out the middleman and basically just offering him the bank job himself. So when we see the driver, he's in his apartment, laying on his bed, staring at the wall. Nothing. And he's laying in his apartment with uh, with the apartment door open, uh, which is uh, fucking weird. <laughs> I don't know, David. I've the apartments I lived in. I the worst case scenario would be a neighbor pops and be like, "Hey, what you doing?" That's a a nightmare. Yeah, it's a fate worse than death. But you know, in pops the detective. Uh, he's like, "Gotta lay on some some serious smarm." <laughs> Just all <laughs> spread it all over the driver. But the this is you know kind of the showdown scene. I know we had the meeting in the bar and grill earlier, but this is where the stakes are raised. This is basically where like. The detective says, hey, run, get a head start. I want to catch you. This is a game now. Uh, this is like the De Niro Pacino scene in Heat, but with way more begging from the Pacino side of things. Yeah, he basically pulls a classic triple D double dog dares him <laughs> to do the uh, the the bank heist now. He's like, you know, if you rob one more bank, one more, I just one more fucking bank. Oh, I'm going to get you just one. You fucking try it. And you'd think he'd be like, oh man, I'm a criminal who does not want to be caught. I'm I'm going to play it cool for a while, but I, I guess it fucking works. Yeah. I mean, the, the detective even goes so far as to give him back the every key that he found in the blue car, which taking a look at this every key, Mac Blake, looking at the handle and looking at just how, you know, the construction of the every key. Was this a butter knife that he fashioned into a skeleton key? David, I'm looking at my Fodor's shank guide, and it says no. Okay, thank you. No, no, no further questions. But David, even though the heat is fucking on, it appears that for the driver, the action is the juice, because he does agree to drive the grocery store gang, but only on one condition, the driver gets double his rate. And also, Teeth, you can't fucking come. Teeth don't like it, but that's the whole idea. Hey, Teeth, get this past your normal-sized teeth and into your thick skull. Actions have consequences. You know, this is kind of the opposite of what we just talked about in the previous scene where the driver is too cool to react to even a gun pointed at his face. Mm -hmm. This is where we start to see the motivations of the driver. And he's motivated by spite. And he is a man after my own heart. Because, yeah, I've done stuff for no real good goddamn reason except to put it in somebody's face. So now I'm on board with this guy. Finally, 50 minutes into the movie, I get where this guy is coming from. So the driver's like, yeah, I get double my rate. And Glass is like, yeah, hey, that's like uh, 30% of our take. And driver's like, I can do math, bitch. <laughs> you know, I hate to say that. 
He goes like, yeah, that's that's my fucking condition. And he's like, all right, fine. And he's like, uh, yeah, teeth don't come. Fuck you, teeth. He's like, ah, fine. And then after the driver leaves, Glasses goes, hey, I'm starting to not like that guy. I tell you, Glasses is pretty laid back. <laughs> you know what I mean? Because he says, I'm starting not to like that guy. I tell you. And then immediately like turns back to sit down. And he's like, well, that's a conversation. And he's like, uh, let's get back to shooting the breeze. Like he just, um, I mean, it's, it's almost like this uh, job is a setup. You know what I mean? <laughs> exactly. Like you've got to feel bad for Glasses now at some point because like, You've taken this thing he loves doing for fun and profit. You've taken mm. the thrill of bank robbery and just made it into like this bureaucratic thing where I've got to like hire this guy now. I've got to fill out paperwork. This sucks. See, I feel good for Glasses because Glasses, you know, part of his whole deal with this thing is that he's got to get the driver on board. And uh, and according to the cop, at least, he's clear to rob a bank and escape with the money. Or does, do the cops keep the money? I don't know. But either way, he doesn't go to jail, mm-hmm. which, first of all, I don't. There's a lot of... There's a lot of trust being extended that no one actually uh, means. The fact that the driver's like, yeah, I'll do it. I feel like Glasses at that moment could have done that fist pump like, yes, like, <laughs> got him. Yes. So the fact that he he's just like real casual, like, oh, okay, cool. That sounds good to me. We, we're done here. That kind of, that fits. Oh boy, we got him. And he's he's got him for the robbery, which I guess we'll see uh, later in the movie at some point, huh? I figure it's, it's got to be coming up at some point. Uh, but Glasses is feeling a little pissy and threatens to shoot any cops he sees. And that's where the detective is not impressed and roughs up Glasses just a little bit, like kind of dangles him off the roof, but not really. But Glasses gives the detective the details of the post-robbery drop point and the robbery is about to be on. Yeah, so the detective does threaten Glasses here, who immediately backs down. I gotta say, I, I'm starting to think that the gla- Glasses is actually just super laid back after the the detective is done threatening Glasses. He's like, no, get the fuck out of here. And Glasses is like, hey, you sure do like the lead, don't you? Or something. And he's like, yep. And Glasses is like, oh, it doesn't make things too easy, let me tell you. Which, <laughs> geez, Glasses. He just, he takes it all in stride. It's it's an inspiration. Like, the next time I'm I'm pushed to the limit by somebody, I'm just going to play cool and be like, hey, you know what? I'll get a ketchup packet somewhere else. Like, I'm assuming I'm at Burger King. I don't know. Uh, and they're not giving me ketchup packets. I mean, at this point, though, if you're the detective, you got to be thinking... What are the chances? What are the odds that glasses is going to betray me? Is it 100% or is it uh, 100%? Why are you trusting glasses? It does not seem like a good move. You have no like evidence over him, right? Well, actually, we don't know because the movie does not have, we don't got time for that. The fact that he trusts him at all is baffling to me. How did you like the shakedown scene here? The detective's uh, rough up performance? It's Bruce Stern, so I loved it. Uh, because <laughs> because it's like, again, you know, he doesn't really like dangle him off the roof. You think if it's an action movie, it's gonna be like, hey, man, hold on. Like, Glasses is just completely unfazed by this. You know, he kind of looks down like, really? Come on. Like, you're gonna hassle me on top of everything else. Uh, but Bruce Stern, again, has a really great line where he kind of roughs him up, uh, you know, roughs up Glasses a little bit. He's got him by the lapels, and then he lets him go, kind of cools down, and he starts smoothing out his jacket. And he's like, straighten up your little corduroy jacket. And it's like the best way to belittle anybody or anything is to refer to it as little. Like if someone would be like, hey, you guys going to record your little podcast tonight? I immediately don't feel like recording that podcast. Yeah, I don't. I, I find myself adding the word little in sometimes and then immediately catching it like, hey, when's your little thing later? I was like, oh, I'm so sorry. I don't mean that. <laughs> I don't know like if my parents said that or something, but I, it definitely creeped into my vocabulary somehow. But you're right. Calling it's it's effective. Again, that's another... Hot tip for all you alphas out there. This is this is another this is a secondary mission of his podcast is uh, 
alpha talk. Tips on how to be an alpha male, eating at Hooters, other things. That's right. I'm going to stop that running joke of alpha talk next year. I'm just, uh, <laughs> it's too easy and I like it too much. Cut to the robbery in progress. These guys fucking shoot out the windows again. It's like they're the wet bandits for windows. Fingers trips the alarm. So Glasses does the diplomatic thing and shoots Fingers right in the gut, freeing up his cut of the take and just leaving him there to die. The driver arrives and Glasses lies to him about Fingers. He says, oh, he snuck out the back. I watched him. He's great. There's no car chase or news of any kind because the detective is waiting at the drop off point to spring the trap. But the driver and Glasses never show the cops have been had. I feel bad for the detective here because there's no way he could have predicted the obvious betrayal of glasses. Also, do people in movies think that bullets are like an off button? Like if I shoot you with a bullet, it doesn't matter where it hits you, just turn off. Because uh, shooting a guy in the gut, that's not a that's not the fastest death, right? That's the whole plot of Reservoir Dogs. You, he might get him to, to talk in the time he has left to live. You don't want that. So yes, please shoot fingers in the head is what I, hold on, why am I asking him to shoot? No, that checks out, that checks out. <laughs> so meanwhile, the driver and glasses make it to the real drop-off point. The driver realizes glasses is trying to get the jump on him, and he can't do that because he's glasses, he's a beta. Uh, <laughs> glasses it's, reveals, it's too easy, it's too it's easy. It's too goddamn easy. Uh, glasses reveals that the job was a cop setup, and glasses scolds the driver for never having a gun, but the driver does have something. A gun? Uh, thankfully the driver shoots glasses before glasses can kill him ah i feel bad for glasses here calling his own death hey you well, i don't get about you you never have a gun oh no <laughs> <laughs> you know i don't feel bad for glasses in this one because he monologues under a false premise because he starts off like you know they make it to the to the new drop-off point or the real drop-off point as it were they're getting out of the cars and glasses pulls a gun and he's like i'm so disappointed in you i can't get over the mistake you made and it's like, what mistake? He knew all along. Like, you didn't trick him into agreeing to partner with you. He got cajoled into it. It's like, and you're the thing that you're the mistake that he made like that. I was very glad to see Glasses get shot at that point. Yeah, Glasses had definitely overstayed his welcome in this movie. Well, I don't know if I want to go that far. I, well, not his welcome as in like, I was sick of seeing him, but his welcome in like, how is Glasses still alive in this thing? Don't you know your Glasses, Glasses? In the universe of this movie, he's playing with house money. He's alive way longer than he should be. In Glasses' mind, he's not Glasses, right? He's like, I'm the mastermind. That's probably what, if they make a movie about this later, I'll be credited as that. And it's like, nah, dude, I hate to break it to you. I'm so smart. I'll be known for my signature glasses. <laughs> so the driver, he, you know, Glasses is dead. And he leaves the scene in, because they don't want to use that car anymore. It's, it's, uh, it's hot, right? Mm-hmm. So the driver leaves a scene in Glasses' car, which is a little red truck. And that's very cute. And I looked it up, uh, David. And if anyone cares, it's a Chevy C10 Stepside, a car I've never heard of before. Ah, uh, but there's no time to mourn Glasses. We hardly knew you because Teeth shows up on a stolen motorcycle. Ah. He shows up to the drop-off point and he finds Glasses dead. R.I.P. Glasses. Rest in power, King. Meanwhile, the driver heads to a bus station to stash the cash. The plan is to be determined. He also gets a room at the Lalo Hotel and waits up to meet with The Connection. Yeah, so we see the driver. He's kind of, you know, making a run for it. Not making a run for it, but he's, you know, his apartment's too hot. He's got to get away from there. Uh, so he's holding up for a little while. You know, $5 a day, that kind of thing. pays, you know, pay daily. And the lady behind the counter, there's a brief moment I just have to call out because mm -hmm. she offers the driver. She's like, hey, you know, for an extra dollar, you can get a TV in your room. And the driver says nothing. He just, like, looks at her. 
not even like a scold, not even like just a complete blank expression and then walks away. So what we learn is that the TV is a dollar, but politeness is free. You fucking asshole. Just give her like a no thank you or something. Shake your head. Yeah, seriously, it's also like a dumb move. I mean, if you um, wanted to keep a low profile, who do you think is more memorable? Someone who says no thanks or someone who's a complete asshole? A complete asshole. So, you know, play cool jerk, play it nice. Uh, Meanwhile, back with the cops, Knob Cop has expressed his displeasure with the detective's failed plan. Uh, If you thought Knob was not on board before, after the detective's failed plan, he is super not on board. Uh, But the detective does not care. In fact, he doubles down on being shitty, and Knob just takes it. Let's talk about this plan for a second, because this plan is fucking crazy. Mm -hmm. So in order to catch the driver, it's a little up in the air. Is this just a weird, like, vindictive thing with the detective? Like, he's the one cowboy I can't catch. Well, I guess he fucking says that. I mean, there's also the potential, like, is the driver having an outsized impact on crime in L.A.? Like, are the reason why six out of every 15, not, not a high number, bank robberies are successful are those the driver's numbers but this this plan of like i'll go ahead and allow a bank robbery in order to uh catch this guy you know in movies it's not the craziest plan but in it is kind of a crazy but you here's the thing david i don't even think it's crazy watching this movie because dern is so confident because detective the detective is just like so confident in this plan it just feels like oh yeah yeah good plan detective like i it doesn't even though Nob is being, he's kind of being a little whiny about it. Uh, I'm siding with the detective on this one. Shut up, Nob. Me too. Especially like I'm starting to get the sense that this thing has been going on for a while. Like they've gone years without catching the driver. And if you figure a robbery every two days, like you kind of want to stack the odds in your favor because you can't be at every bank in LA. So yeah, I could see after a couple of years of just getting your ass handed to you, you're like, this is my last move. I have to set up this robbery for him to take the bait. Uh, so the connection meets with the driver. She meets him at the Lalo Hotel. The driver wants to move the money, but it's going to cost him 75 cents on the dollar. So he's only going to get like 50 grand for this 200,000. Poor him. Uh, he takes the deal and he warns the connection to keep her eye out for teeth and fingers. The people, not just, you know, extremities. That's good advice. The connection arrives home to find teeth waiting for David. How did teeth know where the We don't have time connection... to go over that, Mac. We're <sighs> blistering through this movie. She tries lying at first, but Teeth is not buying it. He threatens the information out of her before finally giving her the pillow's kiss. This scene, David, was creepy, and now I want Teeth to die. Disturbing. Yeah, of all the things that this movie could have had to test the PG rating, it had to be the his gun usage on the connection. That was that made me uncomfortable. Like, good for you for testing the limits of a PG movie. Yeah, Teeth, I don't think, says a single thing in the scene, or maybe like, you know one piece of dialogue but he sticks the gun in the connection's mouth and kind of like all the way down her throat and uh they gave uh, the connection some red lipstick here and so her her mouth like is you could really like and it just really pops in the scene and so it's like really like stretched out and it's just ah it's like a disturbing image kind of i didn't like looking at it and then yeah after she gives up the information he just puts a pillow overhead and shoots her which is uh, not great yeah, after she went out of her way, like she even told the driver, she's like, I'm not going to get killed for you. Like, I'm, if someone comes looking for you, I'm probably going to give you up. And so she ends up like giving him up and still uh, gets to kiss the pillow. Yeah. Her saying, I won't get killed for you. It's like, oof, come on. Check out the movie Scream. Don't say things like that, please. <laughs> Jamie Kennedy made it quite clear. But the player arrives to help the driver move the money because the money, David, is in the locker at the bus station. Real quick, 
what are those lockers for? Like, what is what is a legitimate reason you would use the locker at a bus station? Um, I imagine it's for like stuff that you can't take on the bus with you. You know, like if you have a knife and they're like, hey, you can't bring that. It's like, oh, okay, I'll leave it here. I'll put it in the locker when I come back from Detroit. I'll grab the knife. So it's assuming a round trip bus ticket. I would I would say yeah, yeah, absolutely. Okay. Just wanted to clear that up. Never never been a bus locker man myself. But yeah, David, the bus locker is where he uh, stashes money and so the player and he, he thinks like, you know, the cops are looking for me, you know, maybe to make the exchange here with the exchange man, but they may not be looking for you. And the player does not try to talk him out of it, but they sure don't have sex, that's for certain. Mm, can't have sex. Yeah, you'd think it would be like, you know, this might not go the way we want it to go. Maybe let's uh, go ahead and uh, trade genital information while we're still here. But yeah, he says here, it's like, you know, she kind of tries to talk him out of it in the way that other gamblers try to talk other gamblers out of stuff in the sense that they don't. But he even says, he's like, I'm on a streak. I'm going to play this out. And it's like, what streak are you on? You and I have different definitions of what a streak could be. Because like this feels like one loss after another and you're writing that streak out. Yeah, again, there doesn't seem to be any motivation for him to keep pushing in here other than he just likes it. Yeah, I think so. Because he even says, you know, the player gets wise and she's like, you're not doing this for the money. You're just doing this for the thrill. And he even says... Yeah, I might even send the money back to him, at which point I was back in because I'm a, I am love Spite Mac. I'll tell you this, David. He didn't wear a tie this whole movie. That's all I need to know. This guy is, he is crazy, right? I don't get it. At the train station, the player swaps keys with the sleaze assigned to help her get the cash laundered. He drops off a bag with the laundered cash in full view of a watching detective. Uh-oh. Now, Mac, I thought this was done for our benefit. I thought, or not our benefit. I thought this was done... For the benefit of the detectives, I thought this was such an obvious swaparoo that this was a misdirect or something. But no, this is the movie. They're they're playing this straight, and the the detective is watching them every step of the way. Yeah, and I don't even know if you'd call this a set piece. You might. Would you, this next scene here? I would, but it's flimsy. Okay, then I'll call it this action set piece. And not so great train robbery after the fact, because it's not, it's just a, the robbery. Okay, it doesn't matter. The sleaze hops on a departing train, but so does the detective. The sleaze fakes out the detective with a classic bathroom bag switcheroo, because the detective is going around being like, let me check your bags. But the detective finds the right bag, recovers the money, so now all they have to do is carefully apprehend the sleaze. Anyway, the sleaze gets shot and falls out of a window. Oh, no. So again, like... This is, why does this play out the way it does? I mean, you know, it's entertaining from a movie perspective, but like, you know, if you're the detective, you want to make sure you recover that money first and foremost, which he does, because the sleaze in an effort to like misdirect the detective leaves the bag somewhere else, you know, in an overhead compartment, grabs another fake bag and hides in the bathroom, that sort of thing. So if you're the detective, you stumble across the attache full of 200,000. That's ha- that's a majority of the victory. You really kind of don't even care if you catch the sleaze, but he's so hell-bent on getting to the driver that he's got to catch the sleaze, and he ends up shooting him, falling out the window. Yeah, so the plan here is the dirty money from this bank job is in one locker, and then in the other locker, the sleaze puts the clean laundered money, which is, of course, a smaller percentage, and then the sleaze opens the other locker, takes the original amount, and escapes. Now, the way that the driver and the player have set this up is basically like, okay, you know, we're going to do this handoff, but we're also going to see if the sleaze gets captured because we do not know whether or not the cops are watching his bus locker. And so after the sleaze gets shot to death, I wish they had cut back to the player and the driver and been like, ooh, yeah, they're onto us. Like, ooh, yeah, they're <laughs> <laughs> mm, 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 pulling ah, collars. <laughs> let's come back at a later date. 
Yeah, because she even says, like, just drop it off at the bus station. Come back in six months. You don't need to do it tonight. This Again, going back to him saying he was on a hot streak. But, uh, ay, 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 man. So we cut back to the train station. Teeth shows up. Teeth. Yeah, Teeth is going to show up and, I guess, steal uh, the player's purse with the locker key inside. It's a very effortless mugging. In fact, a cop kind of just saunters over to her. He's like, hey, do you want me to do anything about that? And she's like, nah, we're good. Because she's got because <laughs> she's got the driver waiting outside. She's just like, yeah, he went around back. He's got my purse. And we're off. Yeah, the driver's like, who am I chasing now? That dude? I guess it's time for our final action set piece and chase, which we're going to call L.A. Rundown. Yeah, so this is going to be Teeth and some new driver. I think he's called The Kid in the credits. Uh, They try to get away in a Camaro sponsored by Kansas State University, I think, because it's just purple and silver. David, I looked it up. I think it's a Pontiac Firebird Trans Am. Oh, no. Uh, Oh, because the driver also had the Trans Am in the, oh, maybe this movie's sponsored by Pontiac. I take it as a shout out to Trans Rights, uh, which way out of its time. Thank you, driver. The driver, by the way, is still driving that little red truck, which is cool because I got to say, I was not expecting to see a car chase in like a kind of an, even for 70s standards, kind of like an old pickup truck. Yeah, it's one of those cars that you pick in Cruise in USA, like when you've been playing Cruise in USA for a while. You're like, oh, yeah, let's do the pickup truck now. I'm a completionist. Let's uh, beat this in pickup truck mode. <laughs> yeah. But I'll tell you what, man. That truck is cool. The driver is cool. The driving in the scene is cool. But the player during this whole sequence is the absolute coolest. I just, I could not take my eyes off her because she was so calm. Like, you know, in other movies, again, you know, this movie kind of plays with with conventions where she could have very easily been panicking grabbing like the oh shit handle like look out you know there's trash there's an old lady that kind of thing but she is just she has been through this shit before and she is wearing it on her face and it's just the coolest goddamn thing i enjoyed her so much david this is another reason why i don't think i could be a bank robber when i get rides from friends with a stick shift i get nauseous being in a car that's being driven like the driver is driving a car i'd be you know tossing my cookies so yeah i'm even more impressed by how cool the player is playing it. Let's talk about this car chase, David. So we got an earlier car chase, and then here we get a second one, and they did a great job. This is the superior car chase. They saved the best for last. And it starts out, and they are driving what? A cherry red pickup truck and a bright blue car with flames on the side, which you may think, David, if you're trying to keep a low profile, these are the last two cars you would choose. However, David, they're also, for us, the viewer, very easy to spot. Mm -hmm. Like if you show a, a frame... With these cars in it, my eyes go right to them, right? And I was watching this car chase, which again is great. So there's some great POV shots. And I'm just thinking like, God, what a pain in the ass it must be to film and edit a car chase. I mean, the shots are so quick and you have to tell this story with just like cuts between cars and shots and like interior, exterior. It just seems like uh, just a uh, just a tall task, right? Just a, a tough ask right there. Did I mean for that to rhyme? No. But just as I was having that thought and I was thinking this uh, thing was pulling it off pretty well, there was a little bit of looping in it because at some point this white station wagon with wood paneling pulls out in front of the bad guy car. And then later on, much later in the car chase, we see that same action happening of the white station wagon with the wood paneling pull out in front of the um, the bad guy car again. And I was like, wait, oh, is this, uh, is this a Matrix? I'm not, I'm not going to like moviegoofs.org or whatever because i don't think that's my goal is not to like dunk on this movie for being like oh there's a huge continuity error so the fact that i'm not watching for those kind of things and i noticed it yeah it says a little something about it it's it's the thing i appreciate about this show exactly you're framing it from god 
damn it, it's got to be hard to shoot and edit a car chase sequence instead of like Snopes, Snopes, th- that window broke in the first scene. Like, fuck you. Yeah. And I'm sure if you're familiar with LA streets, you'd be like, wait, hold on. They took the 101 to Elmina. That's not how you get there, bro. David, I'm not a car chase aficionado. I don't pretend to be like a, a student of the game. So, but these are the things that I prefer when seeing a car chase. One of the components that I feel like makes a good car chase is being able to tell where the cars are in relation to each other. Because with a, I remember watching one of those Bourne movies, and I'm like, I can't tell what the fuck is going on. There's so many quick cuts here. But I'll say in this one, and maybe the fact that the cars were so visually recognizable helped. I was able to sort of be like, okay, he's slightly in front of him the whole time. The other thing with a car chase is you really can't overstay your welcome with it. Like the chase has to keep building or it has to change. And the first part of this chase, when they're leaving the bus station and they're like going through downtown LA, like it's visually really cool and some cool shots. But at a certain point I was like, all right, we fucking get it. Like, you know, the, the outside view is not changing. And like five seconds after I was like, I'm getting bored with this. Boom. It changes. They hit the tunnel. So we get a new location. It's now a little bit more, uh, it's like tighter, a little bit more claustrophobic and teeth sticks his head out the window and starts shooting. So we definitely get a change up here. The car chase goes from the tunnel to now a warehouse. Is that right? Well, sure. Yeah, it's a vehicle showdown in the same industrial part of town where a young Chance Boudreaux famously killed a bunch of sport hunters. Yeah, this this is going to be like an extended game of tag, followed by a real quick game of chicken. Uh, the driver wins, by the way. Uh, spoiler alert. And he makes sure Teeth is dead before letting that newbie walk free. Yeah, it's almost like they, they answered my little prayers here because I was like, man, I sure wish this car chase would kind of mix it up a little bit. And then we go from like, how fast can you drive? Oh, there's also a cool scene here where you think the driver has him cornered, but the uh, the bad guy like kind of you know spins out and gets away. We switch from how fast can you drive to now how quietly and slowly can you drive because this warehouse, again, proper warehouse safety is just out the fucking window in 70s LA because if uh, two cars can <laughs> drive through your warehouse and you need to lock some doors. But the cars are now having like a slow kind of like, uh, it's almost like they're in a, uh, like a maze, like a, a hedge maze trying to like, you know, whoa, is he behind this corner? Is he behind that corner? <laughs> I wrote my note was Jaws in a warehouse, which is not accurate because it's not like Jaws was running and trying to kill another Jaws. But it does, it was a suspenseful scene, which is not something you necessarily uh, expect in a, uh, a high octane car chase. Yeah, it's, it's funny you say it's Jaws in a warehouse. I was reminded of, did you ever see Wrongfully Accused with uh, Leslie Nielsen where he's on the run? He's, it's the fugitive ripoff or whatever. Wait, maybe? <laughs> I was shaking my head no and I was like, wait, hold on. I made a lot of questionable decisions as blockbusters back in the day. If you do, you're going to remember this scene and this scene only. It's when he's he jumps out of the train fugitive style and the train chases him through the forest, and it's like peeking out from behind trees, like you know the trees kind of like playing tag with him or whatever. Uh, now I want to see it, <laughs> but that's kind of what this was, you know. It's you know at its at its core, it really is a preposterous premise. Like you're in this warehouse, you're you know you're trying to, like you said, how quiet can you get this car chase? How you know how quiet can you get your your cars when very easily at some point they could have just gotten out of the car and hidden a heck of a lot better than the car does. This movie believes in its preposterous premise. It sticks to its preposterous premise and it executes it so well. I'm going to give this an honorary mark out moment. I didn't quite, you know, whoopee and hooray when I was watching it, but like for this scene to go on and still build and still work, I, I have to give it a ton of credit for that. Yeah, it definitely was an effective scene and the scene ended up with the bad guy car, the Trans Am, being knocked into some sort of ditch. A divot. 
something like that. Yeah. Yeah. And the car crashes and uh, both teeth and uh, I, I, the, I guess he's the kid or whatever. I call him uh, baby driver. I just, mm. even though I don't think he has a, I don't think he was listening to the John Spencer blues explosion. But speaking <laughs> of music, David, what'd you think about the, the score, if you will, in this scene? Yeah, this, the score doesn't really come up a lot in this movie. It kind of comes up, you know, here and there, but in this sequence specifically, I think it's at its most effective because I mean, would you describe the score? How would you describe the score? I guess is a better question. Non-existent. I was like, did not. It's not that it wasn't there. I just did not notice it at all. Yeah, this is the only time I actually did notice it, and it's because like the jazz trumpet decides to just kind of bleed out, you know, here and there. And it was so like startling. It's really, you know, that's really. There's no other way to put it. Like I'm not saying it was effective necessarily, but it. Uh, it caught me in a way that, I, you know, another score wouldn't have in those moments. So, yeah, I was as much as I'm going to be into a very sparse jazz score. I was into this j- very sparse jazz score in this moment. Sparse jazz score is actually my hotmail password, David. Just add five sevens behind it. And there you go. You can read all my hotmail. Got it. <laughs> but, but then uh, teeth get shot here. You know, like you said, they play chicken and the driver wins. He's always going to win. Teeth gets out of the car, kind of spins around, realizes that he's got that the driver has a gun on him. So Teeth decides to draw his gun as slow as can be. I think Teeth's cause of death is going to be that he was a slow draw. Like I think if he had worked with any sort of quickness, he might have had a better jump on the driver. Yeah, David. Teeth completely had a chance to not draw his gun, but instead he just slow like but the crazy thing is he gets a shot off. <laughs> yeah, he does. Like, and after they get the shot off, we hear some heavy breathing. And I was like, oh, did you let him shoot you, the driver? You fucking idiot. And it, it was kind of a weird edit there because I swear to God, he gets the shot off and then he starts reacting like he's been shot. And then we cut to the driver shooting. I rewound that scene or rewound. I just clicked the 10 second back button like about five times to see, which, you know, you wouldn't do in the theaters. But it was still a weird edit because the first time I watched it, I was like, wait, what just happened? But after, uh, so we hear the, the panting, and I was like, oh, no, the driver got killed. We find out that it's Baby Driver, the driver of the car, uh, the bad guy car. And he crawls out, and he's like, hey, man, I just drive or whatever. And we get to hear his voice for the first time. And it's a little, it's pretty young. It's a young voice. He's like, hey, don't don't shoot me, the driver. Like, it's just I was not expecting. Well, it's so matter of fact, too. Like, there's no real, he really just seems like, hey, man, you caught me sleeping with your girlfriend. He's like, I didn't know she had a boyfriend, man. I'm sorry. Like, my bad, dude. I'm going to go home. But he picks up the player's purse with the key to the bus station locker room with presumably a lot of money waiting for him, and he tosses it back to the driver, and the driver and the player head back to the train station. David, glasses is dead, teeth is dead, fingers is probably on his way out, if not already. That just leaves the detective. We got to deal with this dude now. Easy pickings. So the driver and the player are heading back to the train station to pick up their bag. They're taking a bus to the train station, and they even look cool getting off a bus. That's the impossible. I had to had to kill the driver to be driven by a bus. He must have been like, Ugh! I could be driving this bus right now. I was surprised they didn't like fight on like a Shang Chi here, just uh, <laughs> trying to take over this bus. Uh, so the so the driver and the player get there. The driver goes to pick up the laundered money. But the detective and an entire unit of cops are silently respawn uh, to pick up the driver. It's like the end of the Blues Brothers. They're just there all of a sudden. But bad news, fellas. There's no money and there's no proof. So the detective loses and the driver takes the draw, which in driving rules is a win. That is very true. Now, at this point, I feel like I've come to understand kind of what this movie is. Like the fact I've, it, I honestly, it took me a little longer than I care to admit to realize that no one in this movie had a proper name. 
But at this point, David, this thing's like a Hemingway novel, right? It's like uh, just uh, terse athletic prose, except it's a fucking in film form. And so I did not bother me the fact that the cops like suddenly appear, but it, it's almost, it's honestly super funny because the driver, he goes in the bus station and then he definitely takes a couple beats and like looks around and the camera shows up. There's no one in this goddamn bus station. And then of course, as soon as uh, he turns the key, suddenly there's nine cops right behind him, which I hope in the director's cut, there's a scene of Brewster and going like, Shh, and all the cops <laughs> holding their shoes, just walking in socks like sneak up behind them and then put their shoes back on because they don't want to be caught. Yeah, the, the rules of this universe are so rigid and so human that to have this take place, it it really was. Yeah, like you turn away. Like I'm surprised they didn't turn back and like someone was wearing like a lampshade, like trying to pretend to be a lamp in the corner. It was ridiculous. So the detective at this point, he's called in like a bunch of cops, right, to help him bust the driver who he thinks he's got dead to rights. His crazy plan worked. And when they open up the briefcase and there's no money inside, which means he's got nothing on the driver, that means his plan just blew up in his face. And so after the driver was like, hey, you know, adios, man, uh, the detective goes, he goes, hey, driver, you don't, you don't want this? Sure don't want this? Like the suitcase, the empty one? The driver's like, no, I don't give a shit. And so Bruce Stern tries to hand it to Knob, and Knob's like, I don't want it. And out loud I said, he's left holding the back. And then I realize, as I was saying it, that visual joke, of this plan is blown up in his face and he's literally <laughs> left holding the bag. That made me laugh out loud. I appreciated that. And I think, David, that might be the end of the movie. That is going to be the end of The Driver. Okay, David, exciting movie. How many times did you mark out? How many mark out moments in this thing for you? How many moms? I had a respectable three for a PG movie with not a ton of, you know, pulse pounding action. I, I think three is pretty goddamn good. I only had one, which is... Here's the thing, the markout moment is not an indicator of how much I like this movie because I enjoyed it all the way through. But yeah, only one moment took me over that edge, David. Is that not in a sexual way? David, I have a question for you. Is The Driver someone's favorite movie, you think? I hope so. You know, I, I, I think it's a fun movie. It's a it's it's the kind of movie that could stick with someone, but it feels like it's been replaced by now. Like there's nothing about this that's necessarily timeless or classic. It's just good. But I think there's probably better iterations of this since then that other people have latched onto. But golly, I hope people like this movie a heck of a lot. Yeah, because this is such like a lean thriller with some decent performances in it, I think this is probably someone, they might say, The Driver's one of their favorite movies. Like, oh, The Driver, that's one of my favorites. I do have a hard time imagining this is someone's absolute favorite movie, though. Mm -hmm, for sure. Unless you're, they're a Dern head. I could see Dern heads being like, oh man, he really chewed that scenery in the driver. I could see that. David, it's time for some punch-ups. Okay, David, what about this movie would you would you punch up? Would you, you know, what would you fix? Uh, everything I'm going to punch up is going to ruin the movie in some way, but I don't care because we want to see what kind of, what other kind of movie we can make out of it. Like, you know, this is a very bare bones movie, so it's going to leave a lot of real estate to make changes. Uh, one of those changes is going to be you know, we see it at the very beginning of the movie, the driver's sitting in his car and he's occupying his time by playing a, a cassette recorder, you know, by listening to the radio. Let's hear some of the soundtrack. I know I'm walking right into baby driver territory, but let's have one of these movies like every 10 years. Let's have like a generational driving movie with a generational driving soundtrack. And I think this could have been, man, you like some 70s rockers. That's that would have been fun. And then my second punch up for my own sanity, please do me a kindness. 
I need to know as soon as the movie's over that the driver and the player are drilling for oil in the parking lot. I need to know they are going buck on each other. <laughs> you mean they're playing Big Bug Hunter? That's right. <laughs> what what are your what are your punch-ups, Mac? Yeah, I mean, besides adding the Cliff Martinez soundtrack from Driver of this thing, I mean I'd say build a little bit of more of the emotional connection with the bad dudes, especially that final chase scene. We hate teeth, right? Mm-hmm. However, we're introduced to this character, this like new driver, the kid. You know, the big chase scene is between the driver and the kid, and we don't give a shit about the kid because we don't know anything about him. I mean, he he already set up to like, oh, these drivers like know each other because he knew fingers. I mean, if they had set that up where like this whole movie, like the kid is like, hey, hire me. This this old dude, like, he ain't so good. I'm the best, or something like that, and then finally have them face off. That would be awesome. But instead it just was like, who's this fucking guy? I don't care. Second thing I'd punch up, you got to give the driver something to work with here. Because like I was saying, he's just kind of like a, he's like too perfect of a badass. Like he always makes the noble decision. I mean, even though he's, he is like, you know, has kind of like an addiction here to this driving. You don't really see that physically on Ryan O'Neill. I would say make, get, have him make some surprising fucking decisions. Either like, you know, either go out of his way to help someone or either go out of his way to hurt someone. Or maybe here's how I would do it at the end of the movie. Like he leaves, he goes home to a secret family. Hey, dad, how was your conference? And he was like, uh, I was fine, a little bit boring. And you're like, holy shit, he just does this on the weekends? He's got a family in, you know, uh, Rancho Cucamonga? Is that what his deal is? Oh, man. Madman style. <laughs> you know, it's, you know, now that you're, you're mentioning it, this movie for, for being so devoid of stakes, like, you know, the player could very easily have a gambling problem that could be used as leverage against her. And it's never even touched throughout this movie. So maybe like there are places throughout this movie that you could just kind of apply a wrench and just kind of tighten things up a little bit. And I think that would be one of those spots. Again, not to lean too heavily on drive, but like part of the reason he was, you know, the driver uh, played by Ryan Gosling was doing those jobs was to make sure Carrie Mulligan was like free of all this like violence. Right. But in this one, yeah. I mean, if, if he had had a connection with the player and he was like, She's like, I've been in some gambling debts. He's like, I'll get you out of this by pulling one last crazy job. Maybe that would have been too cliche for this movie because maybe this movie is not concerned about that kind of thing. But it definitely would have made it a little bit more of a harder hitter at the end with that kind of emotion behind it. But you know what? I don't fault the movie for that because I think it had a clear mission statement. It's like, let's boil this thing down to the essentials and fucking let her rip. No time to explain, Mac. I get it now, finally. <laughs> but yeah, a, a pretty good movie. Now, David, let's leave these drafty confines of our homes and go to the Punch Mountain Video Store, which, of course, is... Uh, oh, let me get that for you. Thank you uh, this, Oh, no problem. This is an all-action movie store, as you know. And David, because of the uh, aforementioned 4K release, we got three copies of this movie. So what different sections would you stock this thing in? Hell yeah. Okay, so let's see here. I'm going to go with... All right, first one's going in 70s action. This one's a category that's going to get populated as the show goes on, and it might end up being one of my favorite categories. Uh, I, I do like 70s action quite a bit, and that's where this is going to go. Thank you for mentioning that, David, because I totally forgot to give a shout-out to the scene where they shoot glasses, and he dies with a, some super red 70s blood coming out of his stomach. <laughs> I love seeing that fucking fire engine red paint that passed for blood in the 1970s. Shout out to 70s action movies. You're the best, baby. Hell yeah. Um, so, you know what? Uh, it's very. It would be... Fuck it, I'll do it. Car action, I guess, is where this is going to go. It makes a ton of sense. 
why why are you even reluctant about that? I would say that's definitely a category. Well, because I had two I had two other categories that made more sense to me. It obviously is a car action movie. I was gonna put one in action light. Well, David, happy, happy birthmas. <sighs> Blown the dust off a fourth copy. Yay! Perfect. Car action. One goes to action light, and then another one's gonna go to cool action. Cause this is this is one of the cooler movies that we're gonna see on the mountain. Uh, and I'd love to see a category of cool action movies. So by action light, you just mean it is a movie that is light on action, not that the action itself is somehow uh, not as uh, aggressive, if that makes well, sense. Well, I, th- I think in this case, it's both. I think, you know, because it's a PG movie, it lends itself to not really like, the action here isn't particularly violent. It's also not particularly gonzo. It, it's not wild action. It fits in that same sort of afternoon, three o'clock, matinee than like a Charlie's Angels would, you know, which also ended up being an action light. They feel completely different, don't get me wrong, but I think if you're looking for like a muted kind of, not all ages, but a lighter action movie, I think this fits the bill. If I was going to stock this movie in three categories, I would definitely go car action for one of them. Two, I'd say let's give uh, Director's Wall spot to Walter Hill, because he's got some good action movies. Sure. And then the third category I would go with would be, hey kids, psst, PG over here in quotes. now david of course this is a reference to a simpler time where i did not have access to every piece of pornography on my phone when you'd go to the video store and you're a kid they would not let you rent r-rated movies even though you're the same age as the clerk um and so like a movie like the driver it's like hey kid tell your parents this is pg but this movie fucking slaps would be good to know if i was like 10 or something like that although if i was 10 would i like the driver no. <laughs> no. I think I was deep in my Ninja Turtles phase on that one. Yeah. My punch-ups would be like, get some turtles in this, am I right? <laughs> Does the driver like pizza? <laughs> hey, hold on. That's cribbing my bits. I'm really cribbing your bit on that one. <laughs> <laughs> okay, David, now it is time for our business to become serious business because we need to discover this movie's place on Punch Mountain, a.k.a. the definitive ranking of action movies. Uh, just a reminder, at the top of the mountain right now, we have The Raid 2, The Matrix, and Prey. And then down at the bottom, the gift shop. Not even, is it the gift? It's like the parking lot, like the booth, the, the toll booth. The visitor center. Yeah, the visitor center parking lot attendance uh, tent because they're fixing his booth. Uh, that is where Chappie is right now, the movie Chappie. Since David, our 10th entry into Punch Mountain, where would you put it? I could put it up. I'll probably end up putting it smack dab in the middle somewhere around there. Uh, This isn't a a ranking of the coolest movies. This isn't a ranking of the most enjoyable movies. I did enjoy it. I did think it was very cool. But with all the muscle bound, oily guys on this mountain and all the cool guns and fun corruption, uh, I don't think it's going to get very high. I'd say probably somewhere in the middle. David, this is another time where I'm glad that these rankings are not us. Because, again, this is not a ranking of the better movies. Because if I was ranking this purely on, like, is it a good movie, I'd definitely put it above Hard Target and The Rock and Cliffhanger. But is it a better action movie than those? I don't know, man. That's why the mountain gets paid those big bucks. And by bucks, I mean the bodies of those explorers who just thought it would be fun to for a weekend to go climb a mountain, but they're, they're dead up there. They didn't make it. Gotta spend those bucks, though. Oh, my God, Dave. If you look up at the mountain, you see that uh, rocks are falling. Oh, some people died. That's not great. Uh, but look, things are shifting around. And there in golden letters, you can see that the driver is below Cliffhanger and above Charlie's Angels 2019, which makes the current rankings Raid 2, The Matrix, Prey, Hard Target, The Rock, Cliffhanger, The Driver, Charlie's Angels 2019, Deadly Prey, and Chappie. 
that that Charlie's Angels feels like kind of a fist fight there. Like I could see a, a universe where Charlie's Angels ends up above the driver, and I don't hate that one bit. Oh, David, do you hear that horn? Uh, that car horn? Yeah, I gotta go. My ride's here. David, that's not a horn calling you to for your ride. That's calling us to action, David. On this podcast, we talk a lot about fictional action heroes like the driver. We also want to talk about real heroes taking action for vulnerable, underserved, or underrepresented communities. And this month, David, we're spotlighting Austin Mutual Aid. Austin Mutual Aid is a grassroots organization whose mission is to redistribute supplies, food, and more to those in need. Colder temperatures are upon us, which is a very dangerous time for Austin's unhoused population, and groups like AMA work to keep people safe. After each episode this month, Punch Mound will be making a small donation to Austin Mutual Aid. Also, for every review we get on iTunes, we'll add $1 to our donation. That's the only platform I'm checking right now. If you left a review on another one, definitely let me know, and we'll be adding to that donation up to a certain amount, of course, just in case any bots out there wanting to empty our pockets. And hey, if it's a good review, we'll definitely read it on air because we are shallow. For more information on Austin Mutual Aid or to donate directly to them, visit austinmutualaid.org. Disclosure, I live in Austin, Texas, but for listeners who live elsewhere, I encourage you to seek out mutual aid groups local to your communities for opportunities to donate or volunteer. Folks, that's going to be the show for this week. Don't forget to add us on social media. We're on Twitter and Instagram at Punch Mountain or drop us a line at punchmountain at gmail.com. MacBlakeComedy.com is your source for Mac standup. Next week, from 1972, directed by Ronald Neem, it's going to be the Poseidon Adventure. Happy New Year, Mac Blake. Happy New Year. Is this one with Aquaman? It can be if we use our imaginations, Mac. Sounds great. We'll see you next week. Bye. Bye.